The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Super glad that you could join us because today we've got a topic that we've skirted around other times on Go Green Radio, but we've never really looked at the issue of green cars from the consumer standpoint. We've talked about the various technologies from an environmental standpoint, but today we're going to cover this topic from the consumer standpoint, what we need to know about green car shopping. And we have somebody who's just fantastic, who's going to walk us through this process step by step. We've got James Bell, who is now the head of consumer affairs for General Motors. Previously, he was with Kelly Blue Book, and he is, uh, in layman's terms, a quote-unquote car guy. He can tell us a little bit about all the technologies and what we need to be thinking about as we assess what kind of a quote-unquote green car might best suit our lifestyle and our needs. So welcome to Go Green Radio, James. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, it's funny when people are normally uh, assigned the title of car guy, Immediately, your head goes to, uh, you know, a guy who's got grease under his fingernails and he's got, uh, you know, all these ideas, a loud exhaust, trying to make uh, <laughs> gasoline power go crazy. But what I think is really fun about this, and, and hopefully we can capture this, is that car guys are getting into electric cars. They are, mm-hmm. they're, it's really kind of crossed over from being, uh, you know, early adopter uh, kind of green geek space to now <laughs> guys like me recognizing, hey, this is this is going to be a, the future, number one, so let's just get into it. And number two, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, I really appreciate the chance to talk with you guys today. Well, I'm excited as well because, you know, you're right. In the last few years uh, – Eco-friendly cars have really changed, and and the look, the feel, the performance uh, is not what it was, you know, just eight years ago, a short time ago. So I'm really excited to have you kind of walk us through this. You know, a lot of people have heard of electric vehicles, of course, but there are so many other choices on the market. Can you talk to us about uh, the various technologies and various engine types that would qualify as a quote-unquote green car? Yeah, well, I think that's one of the most exciting parts of this is that for many listeners, uh, when you think about a green car, the, the natural kind of uh, place to envision in your head is the Toyota Prius. And that's because yeah. it did the, the, the yeoman's job of, of really kind of coming into the marketplace, identifying, uh, you know, a kind of customer that might be interested in this, and then going past that and really becoming much more mainstream, uh, quickly crossing over from being a curiosity to something that many households and families all around the country who never expected to have a, a green car uh, were, were going for it, my, my own self included. I mean, just on a personal scale, uh, when I was with Kelly Blue Book, I bought a 2004 Toyota Prius when they first came out. Uh, truth be told, a lot of the reasoning was I live in, in Southern California and carpool lane access is very important to us here. And <laughs> so I was able to get in the HOV lane and it saved me at that point about 40 minutes each way in driving time. So I also called my little Prius my time machine. 
But um, <laughs> so yeah, the Prius was uh, was again the the one that really kind of for most of your listeners they're probably thinking of that car. But now it's really diversifying. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of electrification or or greenness, if you will, that you're that we're seeing in transportation today, and and that's only going to accelerate going into the next couple model years. Uh, it starts with something simple like. Uh, let me think of a good one. The Buick LaCrosse is a, is a great example of a vehicle that has what, um, well, the, my, uh, my new bosses at GM don't like me to call it this, but I think it's a, it's a fair way of saying it. It's what's, what's known as mild hybrid. So it's got a small electric motor and a smaller, a smaller battery, say, compared to a Prius or something. Mm-hmm. And so when you come to a stoplight, it allows the engine to shut off but still keeps the air conditioning running, keeps the uh, headlights on if it's nighttime, keeps the radio playing, but the engine's off. And so you sit at the light, not using fuel. Then when the light turns green or the stop sign gives you your turn, uh, use a little bit of electric power to get going, but very quickly the engine kicks back on, and and it just kind of gives you an assist. In fact, that's what the name of that technology is, Uh, E-Assist. From there, you'd get into the standard type um, uh, hybrids like you see in the, in the Ford Fusion or the Toyota Prius, uh, and that being, of course, a gasoline engine and a battery and electric motor, and they kind of work in tandem, depending on the load, depending on the speed, depending on the altitude and all these different factors of driving. It either runs as an electric car or as a gasoline car or kind of a combination of the two. So a little bit more electrification, if you will, than the car that I first described. And then you start uh, really branching into um, things that are much more, uh, you know, using electric power exclusively. Uh, a vehicle like the Chevrolet Volt is a good example. This is a or or the new plug-in Toyota Prius. This mm-hmm. is a, a vehicle that you plug into um, into an outlet overnight, like you charge your cell phone, and the first bunch of miles that you drive the next day are fully electric. The gasoline engine doesn't even turn on; it just uses electric power, like your cell phone uses the battery inside there. Uh, in the case of the Prius, you get about 8 or 9 to 10 miles of electric-only driving. In the Volt, of course, you get uh, a little closer to 40, 38 to 40 miles. Um, and then when you get past that range, and that's where these vehicles are very attractive to a lot of uh, families because you're not then you're not stuck. You don't have range anxiety because when you cross over that range, now you have the small gasoline engine to carry you forward. Uh, mm-hmm. So when you decide to drive to Grandma's house on the weekend, you don't need to worry about it. She's got an open uh, plug that you can charge your car up. <laughs> and then the last one is uh, the, the level of vehicle, and we're going to be seeing more of these as well, which is full plug-in. It doesn't have an exhaust pipe. It doesn't know what gasoline's for. It's purely electric, and that's be vehicles like uh, the Nissan Leaf, I think, is probably what, what many people think of when they think of this kind of car. This is one that you plug in uh, and charge overnight. And then it drives exclusively on electric power. Um, uh, and, and, and that has a, a, to my way of thinking, that has a lot of um, uh, attractiveness to it. But there is the concern about range that people mm-hmm. are thinking, well, what if I need to drive more than uh, 80, 90, or 80 or 90 miles a day? Then I have a problem. And that's true. But the average American drives about 28 miles a day. So I think it really, it stands, we can talk about this later, about being honest with what your, what your uses are. And mm-hmm. I think for many people, a full electric car is uh, probably going to meet their needs quite well. And then you start getting into alternative technology, or sorry, alternative fuel vehicles like uh, uh, clean diesel and uh, natural gas. So, again, when you, when you talk about a green vehicle, I, I think most of your listeners immediately get a little vision of the Prius in their head. But it's a full spectrum of the cars, uh, over 60 different um, green-type vehicles on the road today, and that's only going to accelerate.
Let me ask you this, because every so often, you know, the, the hydrogen fuel cell folks pop up. Yeah. Is that even being considered really as a, as a potential technology for a green car in the future? You're good. You noticed that I didn't mention the hydrogen fuel cells. <laughs> um, no, I do consider that. I just don't bring it up now because it's still, well, it seems to be on this rolling uh, calendar of always, you know, if somebody says uh, in the industry it'll be out in the next 10 years, and then you talk to them two years later, and suddenly it's still 10 years away. Uh, so, yeah, we're still a little bit away from there. I mean, the cost of production of the fuel cell vehicle needs to come down substantially to, in order to become... Uh, you know, something that uh, an average American family could buy. Uh, but more importantly is infrastructure. It's being able to deliver the hydrogen as safely and as uh, inexpensively as we do gasoline uh, or electricity is, is really going to be the trick there. I've spent a lot of time in, in uh, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. They're wonderful to drive. They're fun. Um, it, it's just neat when you see water uh, vapor coming out of the exhaust pipe. It's just a, you feel like you're really driving the future. But until there's that infrastructure of, of uh, distribution to be able to get hydrogen in, in nearly as many places as we can get electricity or gasoline today, it's going to be a, a real struggle there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the tip, typically what I hear. And and what about with like um, compressed natural gas vehicles? Right. Is that same infrastructure situation applicable, or are we, are we in a little bit better position for supporting that technology? I think, well, you know, it's a funny thing you mentioned, um, because I think we're in a little better position there, first off, because if you are interested in buying a CNG vehicle, of course, you can have a, uh, you know, a, a gas station, if you will, in your garage. You can have a special <laughs> charging unit put in your garage and using the gas that's coming across your, uh, into your neighborhood already for, um, you know, for your barbecue and your water heater and so forth. So, you do have the, uh, the uh, better opportunity there, but again, it becomes an issue of when you get out on the road, you need mm-hmm. to be pretty well versed where there are CNG stations around town if you exceed the, the range of the vehicle past your driving day. Um, in some, here in Southern California, I have a good friend who has a CNG vehicle. He can make it work. He's mapped out where there are stations, and he just needs to make sure that if he's pushing the boundaries a little bit, that he stops by one of those and, and takes a charge on quickly. Uh, it's inexpensive. Uh, it gets a great efficiency for the amount of fuel you need to put on board. Um, so I think we're a little closer there, but I, I think really the bigger picture is that these are all, all these technologies that we've discussed so far are all, you know, again, along the spectrum of choice. It really mm-hmm. is about what sort of vehicle, or what, let me rephrase that, what kind of driving am I doing and, and being very rational and honest with myself and then finding the technology that best meets that need. You know, mm-hmm. for 100 years, we bought our vehicles based on the color, the style, uh, how much power, how many seats, um, you know, how it made us feel, whatever the, the reason you bought the car. But then you knew you were going to the gas station at some point. That was, that was for sure. As soon as you right. used that tank of gas that the dealer gave you, uh, you were going to go find your local gas station. But now it's different. Now you could actually choose the vehicle based on its propulsion. Uh, today, it's going to be uh, gasoline and some combination of electric or pure electric. Uh, you can also do natural gas, as you mentioned, and eventually someday uh, hydrogen. But And that's what's cool about this. We're at a real interesting inflection point in personal transportation. I can choose my next vehicle based on its propulsion, and that's, that's just fascinating. 
Well, before a car shopper goes out to a dealership, besides thinking about how many miles they they typically drive in a day and what kind of range they need in their their new vehicle, what are yeah. some other things they should, they should consider before they go out to the dealership if they're considering purchasing one of these green car technologies? Well, I, I think it really comes down to um, well, first off, it's being brutally honest with what you're doing. Are you do you need a vehicle that has, and I say this to people who are looking at buying uh, gasoline-powered cars as well, do you need seven seats? Do you really, really need that extra row? Because uh, there's a good chance you'll just be carting them around as, as empty leather-covered weight uh, on your <laughs> daily drive. Um, and so that's the first step, being very, very, very honest with how much you drive. My wife might do eight or nine miles a day, maybe. She drives a gasoline-powered car. That's silly. She should be an electric-powered car, and I aim on getting her down that road at some point. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so that's the first consideration, being very honest with yourself. I have another good friend who works in downtown uh, Los Angeles. Uh, it's about a 30-mile drive from his house uh, to work and 30 miles back. And I was counseling him on, um, on uh, getting a Volt because that would give him uh, his drive to work would be full electric, uh, unfortunately, his workplace does not have any charging avail- available to it yet. That, I think, is, will be coming at some point, but he doesn't have it today. Um, and so I said, you, you'll use no gasoline to get to work, and you'll sip fuel to get back home to your charging station in your garage. Uh, he really wanted to get a full electric vehicle. He wanted a Leaf, and I said, well, that's fine, but let's say you get a call from a friend uh, you know, on your way home from work, and he says, hey, come over, we're going to watch the game. Well, he may not have enough charge to do that. So that's why, for his situation, a plug-in hybrid vehicle would be best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it. You really need to be honest with how you're using the vehicle and, and you know, re- maybe do, take a little log and, and really prove to yourself what you're really doing with your car as opposed to what you think you might do. And then mm-hmm. secondly, look at your uh, where you're going to be parking the vehicle. Unfortunately, today, as I said, we still have a lot of uh, home, or sorry, um, office spaces and workspaces that do not have charging stations available, but I have an idea on how that's going to be addressed in the future. Uh, so th- that's a bit of a limitation. And also people who live in urban environments in, in apartment buildings. Uh, you know, if there's not a charging station built into their uh, underground parking or something, well, you obviously you can't be rolling a, you know, a, a extension cord out the window and down <laughs> a couple of stories. So uh, those people... You know what? A full electric car is not the right choice for them based on their personal situation. That's when they should be looking at uh, just more of a standard hybrid. Mm -hmm. Well, James, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking with James on a wide breadth of issues about the various technologies involved with green vehicles, and, and we'll keep going with everything you all need to know about how to go green car shopping. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last. Return to the sea. 
Enjoy Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us today. If you're in the market for a new car, and if you're thinking, you know what, I really should invest in something that's eco-friendly, well, look no further because this episode of Go Green Radio is designed to help you know everything that you need to know before you step foot on the dealership park drive and driveway and james bell the head of consumer affairs for general motors is here to help us understand all the things that we need to consider before we go to a dealership and and afterwards as well as we care for our cars as we fuel our cars um, and i'm so glad that you could join us james this is this is a great uh great opportunity for us to learn from an expert so thanks so much for joining us oh my pleasure i think about this stuff all the time so it's just nice to have somebody to tell <laughs> well, I know what you mean. Sometimes, you know, my, my husband's very patient with me, but when I start talking about things like energy and water and waste management, he, his, the, his eyes roll back in his head. And I think he's good for me to have new friends, green friends. So That's right. <laughs> um, I know, like it. We've had a lot of guests on Go Green Radio who are advocates for alternative fuel and electric vehicles um, mm-hmm. and, and hybrid vehicles from an environmental standpoint. I mean, they, they come on and they talk about how this you know will save the planet. But I sometimes wonder if the reasons that those kinds of folks are pushing consumers towards green cars is the same uh, rationale that actually causes customers to come in and purchase these vehicles. From the market research that you've seen, what are some of the primary reasons that customers come in and consumers are looking at purchasing green vehicles? Well, that's a great question. I mean, uh, as we said in the first segment there, I was an early investor, if you will, in a green vehicle because I wanted access to the carpool lane. Very, (laughs) very honest, very rational choice. Uh, If I got the advantage of getting great fuel efficiency, uh, that was kind of secondary. And by the way, that became almost primary because I really did enjoy getting 50-plus miles per gallon. And, and when, when once you have one of these kind of vehicles, uh, especially a hybrid vehicle that you can kind of uh, modify your driving style to meet the technical needs of the, of the car, 
it almost becomes like driving a video game. It becomes a lot of fun to get to eke that extra tenth of a mile per gallon out. You can't believe that you're that focused on it, but when you get that, you know, to 49.9, that feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, a part of it is just for rational reasons like carpooling access. The other side of it is uh, a lot of people were burned by um, fuel prices when they went up a couple of years ago and, and, and continue to be concerned about where they might go again. In fact, I was just hearing a report the other day that we're expecting another 30%, sorry, 30 cent rise in fuel uh, in, in California over the next uh, uh, couple months. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's just in everybody's mind. And a lot of people uh, held off on buying a new car uh, when the economy had its struggles a couple of years ago uh, because we were kind of in a bad pattern. We were probably overspending on the vehicles we should have, uh, you know, trading them in too soon and, and really losing a lot of um, resale value. Uh, it just wasn't really smart economics going on. So people held on to their cars. They put an extra, uh, you know, set of tires or new brakes on the car. And now they're coming back in the market. They're feeling more confident. Their, their lending uh, institutions are, are back in business. So you've got a new kind of wave of people coming back in the business into the marketplace. My suspicion is that, as I said earlier, they don't want to be burned again. And then all of a sudden, uh, you've got all these these green vehicles, these alternative fuel type vehicles that can help uh, kind of act like a a bit of an insurance policy, I guess you could say, against a, a big unexpected run up in fuel prices. And then uh, there are folks that you know do see them kind of on a a higher holistic level, making a making a point about trying to do something uh, to uh, you know to to save things uh, or save um, energy from their own personal perspective. Maybe they've uh, you know considering also putting solar panels on the roof, uh, replacing all the light bulbs uh, from incandescent to um, you know to uh, LED or different kind of lighting systems. Uh, you know, making sure they've got good insulation in the house. They're just making small little steps that. Uh, okay, granted, one person doesn't make a huge impact, but when a whole neighborhood or a whole city starts to get involved, it can have a huge impact. So I mm-hmm. think it's kind of a, a broad range of why people are into this market. They're, they're, number one, we're seeing great pent-up demand. People are needing a new car or, or truck and coming and looking at, at these as options because they weren't options seven or eight or nine years ago, last time they were in dealerships, and uh, and just trying to do the right thing. It just seems like there's... Um, you don't. There's not a compromise now to do the right thing, and I think that's what's exciting. Well, you know, for many years there has been a term out there in marketing, and and maybe it hasn't made it its way to the auto industry, but in other consumer goods, there's been uh-huh. talk of lojas buyers, uh, lifestyles of health and sustainability. Okay. And years ago, there was a, a very small core group of people who would pay whatever premium price they had to to buy products that were eco-friendly. Um, and that, over time, over the last decade, we've seen that that pool of consumers grow tremendously. And even within the last decade, you know, you've got these green mommy bloggers and the, the, the mm-hmm. same women who, you know, uh, they, they campaigned and got BPA baby bottles off the shelves at Safeway. And, and, and they're very passionate about saving the planet for their children's <clears throat> sake. And that's one of the, the market sectors that I feel like, maybe because I'm part of that group, um, has been a bit neglected by the green car phenomenon. I mean, you know, I have a minivan for a reason. I mean, it's part storage locker. I have hockey bags, soccer bags, you know, tuba <laughs> cases. I have, you know, I have to keep a lot of stuff in there. I, you know, I haven't found, you know, the, the 
electric minivan of my dreams. And so I'm wondering how it is that auto manufacturers match not just the current market for green vehicles, but but the, the opportunity for people who might be most likely to purchase a green vehicle for philosophical reasons, you know, for their children's sake, um, and how they match the technology available to the needs of those consumers. No, I know what you're saying. It's a great question. And it's something that, you know, as you mentioned at the start of the show here, I was with Kelly Blue Book for some time. I've been in the auto industry for uh, for quite a while. But this is the, we're now working for General Motors. This is the first time I've worked for a car company where I can, you know, go into the engineering labs or go into the design labs and pull out my badge and say, hey, yes, I work here. I'm allowed to see this stuff. Now tell me what's going on and uh, mm-hmm. really get the inside scoop. And, w- w- I mean, you, what you have to re- remind yourself of is that the car business, it, it, when you're designing a new vehicle or engineering something new, uh, it's kind of like driving a cruise ship. You, you know, you make your decision, you turn the wheel uh, to point the new direction, but it takes a little while for the vehicle to turn. It, you know, it's a, it's a long, laborious process in engineering a vehicle. Uh, a lot of testing, a lot of reliability needs to be built in. Uh, and, and not, and that's, you know, not to say that the vehicle has to have the utility and the style that people are looking for. So it's always a, a very long-term roll of the dice when you're coming out with something new. So that's, that's one of the things that I think I logically knew that being on, on the outside in the car business. But once now that I'm on the inside, it's really been kind of knocked home. So to answer your question, uh, you know, w- right now we're still in the early days of being able to have uh, vehicles like you're talking about that are much more diversified in utility and space that are also green. Uh, the cost of building these vehicles is still quite a bit higher than, say, building a, uh, a gasoline-powered SUV or something or mm-hmm. minivan. Uh, there's just a whole inf- a load of infrastructure issues, which when you have to be honest with yourselves, you know, we're, we're still we're kind of like in the – first or second batter in the first inning of the baseball game when it comes to green car technology, again, because it takes time based on the investment structure and the calendars that have to go by in order to bring these vehicles to market reliably and safely to, in order to, you know, you can't just make one, uh, decide to do it and a year later put it to market. It's right. just not the way that this business works. And so um, those vehicles will come. They definitely will. Uh, but it really is right now that the, all the car companies from Toyota, General Motors, Ford, you name it, are, are balancing the cost of building these vehicles and taking the risk on these vehicles with the volume that they'd be able to achieve on those. And, uh, and I think also when you talk about um, larger vehicles like a minivan, let's say, that would be a plug-in hybrid or something like that, you, you still have this, this kind of delicate balancing act between uh, the batteries that are, are in existence today that are affordable today and the sort of um, and, and how much of those batteries you'd need to put into a larger vehicle, like mm-hmm. a minivan that's going to have hockey bags in the back and a bunch of kids and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so you end up in this spot where you have this this kind of uh, balance point where okay, if I have a vehicle that I need this kind of range on, that means I have to put more battery in, which is going to add more weight to the vehicle. And if the vehicle weighs more, then I have to put more battery in to compensate for that weight. Wait, I'm adding more weight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so it ends up in a funny spot. So I think, again, you, when you think about where you see this technology now, we're starting now to push it into what you consider more midsize or full-size sedan-type vehicles, into some of the smaller crossover vehicles. That's only going to lead us into, you know, into full segments at some point because this is, this is not a, a switch that's going to be able to be switched off at some point. This is the way mm-hmm. the business is going. 
again, just based on 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 the the process and and the requirements for built for bringing the new vehicle to market, it's just going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense, but I'll still keep advocating. Every time I get oh, somebody sure. on my show <laughs> in a position to influence, I'll say, you know what? Don't forget about the purchasing power, the power of the purse, you know, of, of oh, yeah. green mommies. <laughs> Don't no, forget no, about No, no, no. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, I, I can't go into detail, but I've seen some design studies on things uh, that are were right along the lines of what you're talking about. Uh, but, again, at this point, we are, there's just the battery technology, and I know it sounds cliche to say, and it sounds like a bit of an excuse, but, you know, I've been in these labs now, and I've seen what they're up to with batteries and how they're pushing it. And it just we're, we're just early in the game. Uh, you know, have me on the show in, in five years, and we'll talk about a whole different world because now there will be so much advancement and so much push because the entire industry is moving this way. And, and it's, it's a bit of a it's, – it's inevitable now. It's coming. It's not just going to be something where we're suddenly going to – all these vehicles are going to disappear, and we're going to switch back to pure gasoline. Well, we really can't. I mean, you know, gasoline, right. you know, and, and oil itself, they're they're finite. <laughs> That's right. And they won't last forever, even if we still have a few decades, you know, or a few generations left. It won't last forever. So it's good that we're doing this. You know, when you look at what it takes to make a quote-unquote green car user-friendly, for electrics, you need plug-ins and maybe, you know, rapid charging stations. Even, I know, uh, the company, a better, a better Place, was looking at battery swapping stations. Stations, much like gas stations where you could swap out a battery, even right. for flex fuel cars that could run on E85. Sometimes it's not so easy to find that infrastructure. And I'm wondering, you know, does a, does a company like General Motors, do your dealerships work with local government, local utilities, uh, local gas stations in the case of, you know, alternative fuels to help bring this infrastructure to your customers or, or what is your role in, in that infrastructure upgrade that, you know, that's necessary for some of these vehicles? Well, you know, that's a fascinating part of the business, which I think in the last, I don't know, I'll say 12 to 18 months has really changed and, and kind of taken a new tack. And I think it's a very positive step uh, because when vehicles like the Nissan Leaf, <clears throat> excuse me, and the different Prius variants and the Volt were coming out, there was a lot of uh, attention and pressure being put on the manufacturers to say, okay, you're, you're bringing out these vehicles that are going to require this sort of infrastructure. What are you going to do about that? And the car companies, and I think completely correctly, stood back and said, well, yeah, we'd love to be able to do that, but we're car companies. <laughs> we're not utility companies. We're mm-hmm. not, um, you know, charging station companies. That's, we'll do all we can to make sure that the vehicles will be adaptable and, and be able to, uh, you know, get the most range and, and, and be as flexible as possible, but that's not their line of business. And what I've seen in the last 12 months is a real shift to uh, the industry now getting more involved. In fact, I was at an uh, um, electric drive transportation conference in Washington, D.C. about three months ago, and for me it was fascinating because it, here I am at a, a conference about electric driving and, and, and the future of transportation, again, going back to the idea of choosing your propulsion, not just that you, know, you want a red car or a white car, but then much of the news, 99% of the news, was being made by companies like Siemens, by Bosch, uh, by TRW, by big time, uh, by, by some of the largest uh, uh, energy um, uh, utility companies around the country. Mm-hmm. These were the people making the news. These are the people that were up on the panels talking about what they're doing. 
uh, talking about new, you know, uh, lower exp- uh, cost charging stations that can be easily installed in front of businesses, in front of libraries, in, in a public infrastructure space. And, and there was very little noise from the car companies. And that wasn't because the car companies are working hard on this. They're absolutely working hard. But now industry is starting to say, okay, you know, it's that whole chicken and egg thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're starting to define that, that there are people saying, okay, the, the vehicles are there now. Now let's put the infrastructure there. And, mm-hmm. and again, it was, for me, it was just fascinating to go to a, uh, a car event and have very little car news but have a lot of infrastructure news. So I think that's where you're really going to start to see a kick around. And, and my personal view is not the view of General Motors. This is just, for me, studying this stuff more than I probably should, is that you're going to see that infrastructure really start to blossom in front of businesses. That, uh, Starbucks would be so wise to, uh, to announce that they are going to put three charging stations, if you will, in some of the more choice parking spots, in, in front of their stores all around the country. So now all of us are already spending way too much time stopping at Starbucks or different uh, coffee uh, shops on their on our day, grabbing a latte and a uh, bagel or something, just being in the shop for 15 minutes, and then getting back in the car and start and rolling out with your day. The smartest move would be for one of these companies to say, okay, come to Starbucks or Pete's or any of these other uh, coffee companies, and while you're getting your latte, you can also have a free charge. And with 440 charging, you could get to 80% of your uh, battery's capacity in 15 or 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be a big commercial draw for people to do their other business at those places that have that charging as well. I think you're going to see it in front of uh, grocery stores. Mm-hmm. You know, in, if, if in your town you've got three grocery stores and all of them you know, have approximately the same pricing and they're all clean and nice and you like all of them, but one of them has a charging station up front, there's a good chance that if you're going to embrace that technology, that's then going to become your your uh, um, your, your shopping center of choice. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where it's going to move. You're going to start to see uh, the, the commercial infrastructure say, okay, we're starting to see uh, you know a number of these vehicles out there. That means there's consumers that we can help impact to come to our location. And at the same time, we're we're influencing how people are choosing their next vehicle. So I think I think that's where it's going to start to really kick around. You know, it's interesting because when that when that convention went on in in DC, we had the executive yeah. director of the Electric Drive Transportation Association oh, on the show. And we talked about some of these issues, but we didn't get into the specifics of some of the infrastructure that would be going on. And you mentioned some of the exciting things happening for plug-in technology. What were yeah. some of the other things that you heard in terms of, of infrastructure, uh, maybe to support CNG or, um, you know, other technologies uh, that, that might need some added infrastructure? Was there any talk about, you know, like I mentioned, better place and battery swapping stations or anything like that? Or was it typically just the, the rapid charge stations? It was really about rapid charging. It was about um, really kind of uh, pushing forward the, the idea of not using any fuel other than electricity as much as possible. Uh, that's where I really saw. We saw some prototypes of some new rapid charging stations that um, are, are, again, very, becoming very affordable, That uh, both, both from the installation perspective and also from the maintenance and, and use perspective. Um, in regards to CNG, I think where there is an interesting point there, and there was some discussion about it, was the distribution <clears throat> excuse me, of CNG as it becomes more you know, uh, cost-effective and more prevalent uh, does kind of lead you towards a distribution infrastructure for hydrogen. 
because uh, those fuels obviously are somewhat similar, not like, you know, not in the liquid form like gasoline is. You can't, you know, you can't be trucking it around in, in tanks. You need to have some sort of uh, piping network to get it around, and, and that's going to be a big job. But uh, I think we saw some things on how, as CNG gets a little broader base, especially into um, uh, commercial applications. Uh, and I think that was one of, the, one of the other points that came out, that, uh, the uh, you know, large utility companies or delivery companies like FedEx and so forth that have vehicles that are out there running to find routes every day and coming back to home base every night, those are the vehicles that should absolutely be a part of CNG used today, uh, plug-in electric, full electric, mm-hmm. uh, leading you towards a, f- a fuel cell future. Because, mm-hmm. again, there, there's no range anxiety in any of those vehicles. There's no infrastructure problems because you know that, that driver's going to take that vehicle out and drive 38.4 miles during the day and come mm-hmm. back at night and be able to charge up or fill up depending or on whatever fuel of choice. So mm-hmm. I think we saw a lot of that, too, that, uh, you know, from a more of a commercial aspect in the right. trucking industry and in the delivery industry, um, that is where a lot of these newer technologies are going to get pushed uh, even faster than in, in personal transportation. Right. More of the fleet vehicles versus <clears throat> the, the POVs. You Absolutely. Know, it, back to, you know, consumer concerns, individual consumers. What, if they decide I want a plug-in hybrid or I want a pure electric vehicle, are there steps they need to take uh, in their home? Like is there a special electric outlet that they need to have installed before they go to the dealership and purchase that electric vehicle? Or can they just bring it home and plug it in in the garage if they have a single-family dwelling with, you know, electricity out in the garage? Is there pre-planning involved or can you just show up, buy an electric vehicle and drive it off the lot? Either way is fine. And the reason being, I had a Chevrolet Volt for about six months as my as my company car. I plugged it in every day, every night, just like I did my cell phone when I got home, in uh, just a standard 110 outlet mm-hmm. uh, in my driveway, charged the vehicle up, drove it as an electric car for 30-plus miles the next day, and, and, you know, obviously had the gasoline as a backup if needed. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't make any sort of investment. If, however, I wanted to... Uh, you know, put a 220 charging in, uh, and many garages are already going to have that 220 available to it because maybe the uh, uh, the dish, put the sorry, the um, the clothes uh, washing the nah, washing machines and so forth are going to be running 220. So that's mm-hmm. already available within the within the infrastructure of the house. Uh, then that could be an investment. And and any of the car companies, in fact, many of them are now offering incentives to help you make that decision of, of you know, having a, a 220 charging built, uh, you know, a little, a little station on the wall, if you will, right mm-hmm. into your garage so you can come in and charge up much quicker. Uh, mm-hmm. And then using the quick charge infrastructure out in, in the public space. Uh, and, again, that's using 440 volts, so that's not something you're going to have in per- people's personal homes. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to answer your ultimate question, you could do it either way. You could go out and buy uh, a plug-in uh, Nissan Leaf tomorrow, and bring it home and charge it up overnight. Uh, but, of course, because it's running on 110 and not 220, it takes, uh, in some cases, substantially longer. But, mm-hmm. again, you know, as I said early on in the show, I think you need to stand back and say, uh, what, what am I really doing with my vehicle? I mean, mm-hmm. the whole time that you and I have been here on the, on the radio talking, our cars have been sitting somewhere. They could be charging. Right. And so, you know, if you're not in the car for nine hours a day, most of the time it's sitting in your driveway. So you can use 110 because you can always be kind of topping up, if you will, uh, whenever you're just uh, back at home or 
um, you know, or over the weekend or so forth. So, mm-hmm. yes, long way of saying you could buy one tomorrow and start charging the next day. It's just a matter of how, how much you want to invest into this and, and how, uh, what kind of flexibility you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, we both live in California, and so it's not unusual at all to see electric vehicles, to see hybrid vehicles yeah. everywhere. But our weather is pretty nice most of the mm-hmm. time. How how does you know this technology hold up in areas where there's extreme cold, um, snow and ice, and road salt on the roads? Are these types of engines suitable for all weather, all terrain? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in regards to um, hybrid-type vehicles, you know, they're made to the same standard as any sort of, uh, well, not just hybrid vehicles, any vehicle on the road is made to the same standards for durability and reliability uh, as, as a, a standard gasoline uh, vehicle would be. So, yeah, there's no issues when it comes to weather or salt or anything like that. The battery casings themselves are, are very uh, overbuilt. Uh, to make sure that there's protection there in case of an accident. There's been training that's gone out to uh, first responding units all around the country to make sure that they understand that these electric vehicles are now on the road because there are some, some considerations if there's one in an accident. You want to make sure that if you need to use the, you know, the jaws of life to start cutting a vehicle to get somebody out, uh, we've color-coded some of the, um, the larger, uh, more important electric lines that are in the vehicle to make sure that the, the first responder doesn't cut through those because mm-hmm. these are fair considerations. Uh, there was some concern early uh, as these vehicles started rolled out about fires. Uh, mm-hmm. That's been unfounded. In fact, you know, it, 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 I thought it was funny when everybody was getting worried about electric car fires because gasoline-powered cars are, uh, I mean, there's probably one on fire somewhere in the country as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, They're so highly it, combustible, know, right. It, we all we all had to learn how to use a, a flammable liquid in, in a vehicle. It sounds, mm-hmm. seems kind of crazy when you compare that to uh, how safe a battery would be. So, no, to answer your question, uh, yes, they are completely usable in any sort of weather, no corrosion issues. You do have some degradation in, in battery um, uh, capacity, I guess you could say, when the weather gets uh, very hot or very cold, mm-hmm. and that's just natural. I mean, your cell phone would would respond in the same way. Mm-hmm. And uh, but they're working on ways to to minimize that. I mean, a vehicle like the Chevrolet Volt has a has a cooled battery pack or a, a, a temperature monitored ba- battery pack, so it never gets too hot, never gets too cold. Always is a is a happy little battery. And so, uh, right. if you live in a in a temperature or a space, uh, let's say in in Tucson, Arizona, where it can get very hot then an air-cooled battery pack might not be the best way move for you. Uh-huh. Uh, you pull into a parking lot that's you know black asphalt and sitting there absorbing uh, the 110-degree heat all day, it's going to have some impact on, the, on an air-cooled battery pack along the lines of, say, Nissan Leaf. So, mm-hmm. again, it's all about being honest and rational with where you live, how you use the vehicle, what you're going to do with it, and then finding the car that best meets those needs. Well, besides the vehicle safety, what about the the passenger safety in these types of vehicles? I mean, you know, yeah. batteries add a lot of weight to vehicles, which can diminish, um, you know, the performance of the vehicle um, based on, you know, depending on the type of fuel that it's used. Uh, can these types of vehicles, particularly electric vehicles, have the kind of casing, the kind of framing um, that, is optimal for passenger safety, say for collision situation. Um, can they can they handle that kind of heavy framing like a like a big internal combustion engine SUV could? I mean, are we well, as safe in those types of vehicles as we might be with traditional vehicles? 
Well, the first thing you mentioned about the weight, that you'd be adding a lot of weight by putting your battery packs in. Mm-hmm. Well, you're taking away a lot of weight uh, by not having to put an engine into it. Okay. <clears throat> so, excuse me, a lot of that balances itself out. Um, and so weight really isn't a consideration. In regards to um, uh, crash safety, they're all made to the same standards as a gasoline-powered car. So absolutely, yes. There's, In fact, there's a lot of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of, great moves that can be made because we're now able to design and engineer vehicles in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, for a hundred years we had the engine up front and that was a big lump of metal and, and weight and uh, fluids and so forth that the engineers had to build safety in the car, knowing that you had that big, that big piece of momentum uh, builder right. up there in the front of the vehicle. Now with electric cars, you can roll the batteries down the center and as low as possible in the frame which makes them handle much better and also uh, minimizes any sort of, um, you know, inertia or, or uh, momentum-type um, impacts in a crash or in, a, in an emergency uh, handling maneuver or something like that. So we're really at this kind of uh, early days of saying, okay, well, we, we can put the battery wherever we want. We can now have mm-hmm. the engine, if you will, wherever you want, the car, wherever it's safest, wherever it's going to ha- have the least impact on on passenger space and make sure it's, uh, you know, uh, providing as much uh, utility, but still giving that great handling that people expect in cars. So, uh, no, but to ultimately answer your question, no, there's no consideration, there's no safety fear uh, over an electric-powered car or a hybrid-powered car over um, as compared to a, a standard gasoline-powered car. They're all, they're all made to the same standards. Great. Well, that's good to know. That's, you know, that yeah. I'm sure that puts a lot of people's minds at ease. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, much more with James Bell, Head of Consumer Affairs of General Motors. Don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. World. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today our guest, if you're just joining us, is James Bell, Head of Consumer Affairs for General Motors. And we're talking about kind of a soup to nuts, everything you need to know about becoming a green car shopper. What you need to know when you're considering a new vehicle, when you head to the lot, uh, things you need to consider before even making the choice of which technology might best fit your lifestyle. And it's been great having James on. You know, James, before you came to work, for General Motors, you were the Vice President of Corporate Communications and Executive Market Analysis for Kelly Blue Book. And yeah. I'm wondering, given that perspective, what your uh, what your vision of the future is for the resale and trade-in value of these new green car technologies will be. I mean, as you mentioned, the technology is changing fast. You know, we're we're still early on in some of the iterations yeah. of these vehicles. Do you do you think that they'll they'll keep their resale value the way traditional vehicles will, or will this rapidly changing technology kind of make them similar to computers the way that they very rapidly diminish in value as new te- technologies come on board? What do you see yeah. for that? No, that, that's a fascinating question, and boy, I'd be a very wealthy man if I knew the absolute answer to that, because <laughs> uh, we're, you know, I hate to <clears throat> keep using that cop-out, but we are still kind of in early days on that. But um, I think the best way to kind of identify how well or, or, you know, what kind of resale value we could expect to see is, is going back to the little old Prius. Uh, you go back to, you know, the, the second generation of that vehicle that really kind of launched the idea of, of people driving uh, hybrid vehicles in the States and around the world. We're going back to 2004, I remember vividly people saying to me, you know, well, what's going to happen when you have to replace the battery pack? I hear it's $5,000 to replace the battery pack. Well, and I own two Priuses. I never touch the batteries. They always work fine. Uh, I have a friend that I got into a Prius. He, he told me the other day he has 160,000 miles on his car now, and he's never touched the battery on it. So I think that has been something that the, the industry and consumers needed to see, that, uh, you know, that these things weren't going to become, uh, say, like a cell phone, and maybe the battery goes out. <clears throat> sure, that's a little 60 or $70 thing, not a $5,000 thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but what, and there's and real quick on the technical side. There's a reason why these batteries are working so well, and that's because we know how to keep them happy. Uh, to be fair, with your cell phone, you you treat it pretty roughly. Uh, many people, you know, let it drain almost all the way down to the bottom, and then charge it up overnight while they're sleeping. Take it up to the top, and the next day, the you know full use, and then back to the top, and back and forth, back and forth. Batteries hate that life. They like to be kind of kept in a maybe an 80% to 20% space. That's where they're most comfortable. And that's what we do with uh, the batteries in these hybrid vehicles. We're never fully charging them, and we're never fully discharging them. They're always in that little warm and happy space. And that's why we're seeing the durability that you're seeing them now. So, you know, durability obviously is a big part of resale value. Uh, I, I think that there's any concerns about that has been really kind of washed away. Mm-hmm. The, the next question becomes... Uh, you know, I think that we're still seeing a little bit of a 
a washout in what the what, where the retail transaction point, the comfortable spot where people are are willing to make this jump, especially in the full electric um, cars, uh, where that point is. Because if you bought a, a Nissan Leaf, let's say two years ago, you're probably a little upset that they've dropped the price. I think twice now in order to get into that sweet spot where the market really existed for a car like that. In fact, I believe Nissan has even <clears throat> done some make goods to people who bought one in the last uh, eight or nine months and said, okay, we've dropped the price, whatever it was, $1,000, $500, I can't remember now, but you know, we'll, we'll make that good to you so you don't feel like that you got burned by buying the car too soon. So I still mm-hmm. think we're seeing where that, where that market point is, where that sweet spot is, and until that really gets identified, uh, it really becomes a little harder to to set where the where the resale is going to be. Now, of course, the anomaly to that is the uh, the um, the Tesla the Model S hmm. here in Southern California. As you know, that vehicle is selling incredibly well to the point where all they're really selling are the eighty thousand and one hundred thousand dollar models, mm-hmm. the ones with the largest amount of range. They've even stopped producing the uh, the cheapest models. So mm-hmm. that's a bit of an anomaly. That really, I think, is kind of more of a an image or a uh, you know, a, a social standing kind of uh, reason people are really uh, are buying that car more than buying it for it or for its efficiency. But mm-hmm. again, this is a long way of saying I still think we're a little early on knowing where resale value is, but I don't think that's such a concern for people who are c- considering look, looking getting one of these vehicles now because I think you're really going to enjoy owning this car. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to give you unexpected benefits and 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 experiences and. And when you don't have to go to the gas station, I mean, right now with a, a Chevrolet Volt, uh, you know, we've got now millions of miles of, of, of use by owners out there now, and we can monitor them using the OnStar system and see how often they have to charge the vehicle, see how often they're going to the gas station. And the average Volt owner is going to the gas station almost every thousand miles. And wow. so that's, that's a quick payback. And so wow. you're not too, too um, concerned about resale value because you're going to keep that car for a while. That, that, that's keeping a lot of money in your pocket. Well, and and I'm I'm no mechanic, and I'm no uh, you know insider uh-huh. when it comes to this. But I know that you know there are fewer parts that you know that That's can right. be broken in an electric motor. And you know, I mean, even in my minivan, which I've had since 1998, I've had to replace the transmission twice. Ooh. So that was you know I, I've got almost yeah. 200,000 miles on it. So that was commiserate to the cost of changing out a battery. And and so it's not like um, you know, right. th- there there's no cost associated, you know, with with the internal combustion engine that's commiserate to changing out a battery pack, even if you needed to. So, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, and you're absolutely right. I I should have mentioned that. Yes, you don't have oil changes, you don't have all these moving parts mm-hmm. working against each other and wearing each other out like you have in internal combustion engines. Um, you don't have transmissions that need to be replaced. It's all a whole different way of propelling yourself down the road with many, many fewer parts. And electric motors have been, uh, you know, very well known and, and understood and all the bugs worked out for 100 years plus. So, yes, you're absolutely right. There, there is a huge maintenance issue there. And, and one of the interesting ones where you really feel it is in brakes. Uh, I mentioned earlier my friend who's got the Prius with all these uh, 167 thousand miles on it. He's only had the brakes with that once in that whole time, and that's wow. because most most of your uh, of your stopping is done by regeneration. You're not even actually applying the the brakes physically. So guess what? You, you're not even getting brake jobs done on a lot of these cars because your regen is is creating most of the stopping. 
So oh, yeah, you're right. There, there is some huge cost of ownership advantages besides just fuel. Uh, insurance, insurance is, is usually cheaper on electric vehicle because the um, uh, either full electric or hybrid electric because the insurance companies are are seeing these vehicles and saying, oh, okay. If you're buying one of these, then you're obviously driving a little bit differently. You're not buying the, the Porsche to accelerate on the freeway and, and beat everybody at the stoplight. You're, you're driving a little differently. You're being a little bit more cautious and trying to save a little money. So we're going to reward you for that with lower insurance premiums. So, yeah, there's a whole raft of cost of ownership advantages uh, besides just resale value that I think really makes uh, people, once they, once they make this jump, they're very, very happy that they did. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm kind of hoping that that will trickle down to the next generation of, of you know, potential car buyers. I know, um, you know, when I was a teenager, all the boys that I knew were dreaming of a, a muscle car, you know, and that's sure. what they wanted their first vehicle to be. And I'm wondering if at some point, you know, the, the market will, will bleed over from the sort of middle-aged or, you know, uh, mm-hmm you know, folks who are, are sensible and practical to vehicles that are hot and fun and, and maybe a little sexy so that, you know, the, the teenagers of today will dream about, oh, I can't wait till I get my first plug-in hybrid or something, you well, know, I mean, and make it make it kind of a multi-generational thing. Well, but, jump uh, on, take a quick look at what we saw at the Geneva Auto Show this year. There were three incredibly hot, expensive, dream-worthy vehicles that were introduced from Porsche, from Ferrari, and from McLaren. And yeah. all now, if we three just of them get were plug-in like a, hybrids. Like a, a Mustang version, or a or a Chevette, or you know something. That, remember the old Celica, something like that. The, the old muscle cars. But no, yeah. We, well, the, we're getting the dream there. Car, dream getting... cars are, as, as you know, again, as of the Geneva Auto Show. If anybody's into Ferraris, they know that the top Ferrari is now a plug-in hybrid. So that's oh. going to have that impact, I, I believe. Will. As well Absolutely. as when you drive an electric vehicle. They're fun. They have tons of torque. They, they take off quicker from the line than a gasoline-powered car does. So uh, once, you, once you experience it, it's a lot of fun. Well, I, I'm really excited that we got to have you on today, James. This was a great uh, kind of seminar for anybody who's thinking <laughs> about buying a, a, a green vehicle, and I really appreciate your time and your insights. Folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.